Welcome back to the Community Christian Church Podcast. This week, we're joined by teaching pastor Carrie Latticer for week four in our series, Making Room in Advent. Community is one church in four expressions, meeting online, in person, and in small groups around the globe. Learn more and plan your visit at communitychristian.org. It's just one week until Christmas, which means tis the season for Amazon packages to pile up on our front porches, right? I'm curious, please tell us in the chat, how many of you still go to brick and mortar stores for most of your Christmas shopping? How many of you do the majority of your Christmas shopping online? Okay, how many of you don't have the online option because you start your Christmas shopping on December 24th? I tend to do most of my shopping online, not just at Christmas, but all year round. To me, it's just easier. My friend Tammy had one online shopping experience this last year that turned out to be pretty funny. She had ordered the book, Jesus the King by Tim Keller. And when it arrived, the Amazon Alexa in her home emphatically announced, Jesus the King has arrived. Can you imagine? (laughs) She said she was so disappointed when she opened her front door. But it made me think, what if Jesus really was coming over? What would I do? How would I prepare? How would you prepare? Uh, Would it look something like this? Gotta clean the house now, 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 people. I want this place looking like Disney on ice in one minute. Terry, if you haven't made your bed, throw it away. It's too late to make it now. Company is coming. Get rid of the couches. We can't let people know we sat. The chairs need to be pushed in. There cannot be any sign of living in this house. I don't care if we have to throw everything out. I want this place looking like a new Mediterranean fusion restaurant by noon. It's amazing to me how much cleaning that I never seem to have time to do can be done in the 15 minutes before someone comes over. It suddenly seems super important to get the dishes piled in the sink into the dishwasher, the shoes scattered around the door into the closet, and that unidentifiable stain in the downstairs bathroom sink wiped away. Can anyone else relate? But have you ever stopped to ask yourself, What is going on behind this frantic preparation? Why do we do it? I think how we prepare for something reveals what is actually important to us. It reveals what we think matters most. Yet, if Jesus were standing at our front door, is cleaning up our act or frantically trying to make ourselves look better than we are really most important? How do we make sure we center our preparation around what really matters? Advent is all about preparation, preparing for Jesus. Each week of this Advent season, we've been challenging one another to prepare by making room for God to work in our lives, just like the people we read about in the Bible made room during that first Advent season as they waited for Him. So far, we've learned about how Zechariah made room for God to work in the waiting. We've learned about how Mary allowed God to work through her own limitations. And we've learned about how Elizabeth made room for God to work through community. Today, we're going to learn about a person who may at first seem to be a bit of a side note in the Christmas story, but in reality, his story plays a massive role in what God was doing. 
As we've done throughout this series, let's hear from artist and author Betty Dickinson. Betty's paintings and reflections are helping us enter into the Advent story. Here she is to introduce us to the next person in the story. As the Christmas story moves forward, it was time for Elizabeth to give birth to a son, John the Baptist. Now, any mother will tell you that receiving a new child into her life takes some preparation. Her body or home must make room, but also her soul. She must yield to a being she has never met. The center of her world must shift. She will no longer be the center. Her child will take center stage. This is the kind of soul preparation God created John the Baptist to facilitate. Like mothers getting ready to receive their child, Israel needed to prepare to receive the promised Messiah. They needed to make room for him, to shift themselves out of the center and receive Jesus as king. And John prepared the way. Elizabeth's neighbors were thrilled for her. They shared her joy, and like we know relatives do, they wanted to give their own input on the name. They're about to name him after his father, Zechariah, but Elizabeth stops them and shouts, no, he's to be called John. Well, the relatives just don't know what to do with this. This breaks with tradition. It was common practice to name a son after their father, an indication of what this child would be. Surely he would be a priest like his father, Zechariah, right? They turn to Zechariah to see what he thinks. Likely, Zechariah was not only mute, but deaf. So they make signs to him to ask him what he thinks. Zechariah then takes a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he writes, his name is John. Instantly, Zechariah's mouth opens and is able to speak again. With his tongue freed, Zechariah bursts into song. He sings, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet to the path of peace. According to Blue Letter Bible, the word for prepare in verse 76 is associated with the ancient custom of readying the path for a king's arrival. Someone would go before the king to level the roads and make them passable. Jesus the king was coming, and John the Baptist's role was to prepare the way. So how do we level the roads in our lives this Christmas? How do we prepare ourselves for Jesus? Here, in the Advent story, another baby is born who will play a key role in the work God is doing in the world. John the Baptist's role was to prepare the people for Jesus. When John grows up and begins his public ministry, we see what this preparation entails. The historian Luke records it this way. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. 
He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John went throughout the land of Israel, calling people to repentance. This is how they were to prepare their hearts and their minds for Jesus. So what is involved in repentance? I think sometimes we hear that word, we think it means to feel sorry or remorseful or regretful. Maybe we picture having to grovel or sulk in our shame, but that's not really what repentance means. In the original language of the New Testament, the word for repentance, metanoia, means a change of mind. To repent means to start thinking differently, or as N.T. Wright, New Testament professor and scholar, puts it, repentance is a call to rethink your entire view of reality in light of the person of Jesus. To better understand how people would have heard the call to repentance in the first century, it might be helpful to learn about how this word was used in contexts outside of the Bible. Josephus is a well-known first-century historian and military leader whose writings often corroborate many of the things we find in the Bible. In his autobiography, Josephus recounts an incident that took place around 66 AD when a bandit plotted to take his life. Josephus discovers the plot and is able to foil the plan. In deciding what to do with the bandit, Josephus pulls him aside and basically tells the man that he's willing to overlook the offense if the bandit will show repentance. In the context of Josephus' words, it's clear that this repentance is not about feeling sorry or groveling. It's about the bandit confirming he's changed his mind by embodying his change in his actions. It's in him proving he's now committed to being loyal to Josephus. Repentance is about our allegiance. That's what N.T. Wright is talking about when he says repentance is a call to rethink your entire view of reality in light of the person of Jesus. True repentance is about allegiance to Jesus. It means giving up your own agenda and following Jesus instead. As John the Baptist went throughout the land of Israel, how did he call people to prepare their hearts and their minds for Jesus' arrival? Through repentance. And that's the same way that we are to prepare for Jesus today. So what do we need to repent of in order to prepare the way for Jesus? Our friend, artist, and author Betty Dickinson highlighted how the word prepare in Luke's account of the story of Jesus' coming is associated with the leveling of roads to make them passable for a king. As Luke describes the ministry of John the Baptist, he continues with this theme as he writes from words written by the prophet Isaiah. It says, As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. 
Luke uses compelling and challenging imagery to paint a picture for us of what repentance can look like in our lives and through our community. Perhaps each image is an invitation for us to explore where in our own lives we can make room by pursuing repentance in the ways that Luke illustrates. Practically speaking, what might it look like for mountains to be brought down around us? Could this be things we have erected in our lives like pride or self-reliance in ways that keep us from full dependence on Jesus? Or how about systems and structures of power that many of us benefit from at a cost to folks who have been marginalized by those very same systems? Could our repentance involve naming the mountains of mighty things that stand in the way of loyalty to Jesus and His vision for the world? Or how about the valleys being filled in? This immediately makes me ponder the voids, the deficits in my life. Are there things like grief or abandonment or shame over past regrets that, regrets that have become deep valleys in your life? Might repentance look like turning from those painful deficits and trusting that loyalty to the coming King can bring healing? Might you dare to dream and believe for the redemption of those things in your life? This imagery conjures up promise that those who have been caught under will be lifted up. What does it mean that the crooked roads will be made straight? Are there things inside of us, good things that we long for that have become disordered desires? Perhaps this means a reorientation to our sin patterns and the things of our lives that inhibit our flourishing. There's an invitation, both individually and collectively, to be ruthlessly honest in our assessments about the crooked roads in our hearts and our lives and in this world. Just as Jesus came to usher in the rule and reign of God on earth, his invitation is for us to do the same, to engage the difficult work of straightening the crooked paths for us and for others together. Finally, Luke tells us via the words of Isaiah that the rough roads will be made smooth. These words were written in a time of political upheaval and significant struggle within the community of Israel and the broader world around them. The rough roads being made smooth conjures up the promise that the struggles of the world we face will be mended, that our collective challenges and histories can all be redeemed. Making room for the arrival of the King means reflecting on those rough places in our lives, in our families of origin, the hang-ups that keep coming up, and reorienting all of our old patterns in light of the coming Jesus. This beautiful imagery captures John the Baptist's call to repentance. It paints a picture for us of what it looks like to prepare the way for a king. And just as the people needed to hear that call back in the first century, we need to hear John's call today. We prepare the way for Jesus by getting honest about anything that impedes our relationship with him and our allegiance to him as king.
Remember, repentance means to rethink our entire view of reality in light of the person of Jesus. So let's briefly talk about what is involved in repentance. How do we actually rethink our reality in light of Jesus? I want to give you three encouragements to consider as you pursue repentance. The first encouragement is an invitation for all of us to get honest. I have some friends in recovery who say that ruthless honesty is a core principle to anyone who wants to change anything about their life. And I know from my own experience that honesty is the quickest path to liberation. Honesty is the quickest path to freedom. Can you get honest about the areas of your life where you don't yet view reality through the light of Jesus? This honesty can feel like a challenge, but I hope that we'll actually see this as an opportunity. In this world and within each one of our lives, there are mountains to be brought down, valleys to be filled in, crooked roads to be made straight, and rough roads to be smoothed. Honesty is the quickest path to liberation, meaning if you want to experience freedom and flourishing in your life, the first step is telling the truth about what areas need repentance. Once we're able to get honest, the next encouragement is to address resistance. We have to address the areas of our will that are resistant to change. Change is hard. It's disorienting. It can be quite disconcerting. Addressing resistance means being attentive to the things that we want to hold on to that keep us from the things that we want most. The invitation is to address resistance that prevents us from repentance. Author and theologian Frederick Buechner says, If there is a terror about darkness because we cannot see, there is also a terror about light because we can see. There is a terror about light because much of what we see in the light about ourselves and our world, we would rather not see, would rather not have been seen. Repentance is unpopular because many of us are addicted to justifying our own actions. Instead of pointing out the evil in ourselves, we would rather point it out in others. Sometimes we cling to old ways, even if they no longer serve us well, because their familiarity provides a sense of comfort or control. To truly repent, we have to address the resistance in our lives so that we can relinquish comfort and control and make room for Jesus. The final area of encouragement I want to offer to you is to start small. How many of you have heard the saying, everyone wants to change the world, but no one wants to change the toilet paper roll? <laughs> the science and psychology regarding change, which is pivotal to repentance, suggests that starting small is the most effective way. As you reflect on the areas of repentance in your life, I want to invite you to consider one practical change that you're capable of consistently keeping. When you think about the mountains that may need to be brought down, is there an area of pride or self-reliance that you need to explore? What type of small change could lead you towards repentance and the ways of Jesus in that area?
Could a daily practice such as the prayer of examine help you address the mountains in your life? Or how about the valleys that need to be filled in? Are there consistent deficits or places of pain that keep popping up for you? Could repentance in these areas include scheduling an appointment with a therapist or inviting a friend into your pain or grief? What about a change to your daily habit that includes journaling or praying through those dark parts? How about the crooked paths to be made straight? In your honest assessment, are there patterns of sin that come from disordered desires that need to be addressed? Perhaps you realize you're having a drink every night because there are some painful things you're trying to avoid. Maybe you feel disconnected from those you love most and you're looking at stuff on your computer that you don't even want to be viewing just to numb your pain for a moment. To pursue what it is you actually desire, which is connection, might a change in your behavior or a walk with a friend or a conversation with your spouse be helpful? And finally, what rough rough roads need to be smoothed? Is there a long-standing conflict with a family member or friend that could take a step towards repair this holiday season? The pain from our past, it doesn't simply go away. It gets projected onto our present relationships until it gets tended to. How might you move towards someone you've struggled to love in the past? Could a small change be to send a card or make the phone call, extend the invitation to smooth the rough roads this season? What is one small step you could take even today to make room for Jesus through repentance this Advent season? In these next few moments, I want to give us a little bit of space to make room for repentance. This holiday season is likely to be filled with lists of stuff to do, things to buy, distractions to pull us in the opposite direction of the ones we want to go in. I confess to you, there have been years I was so committed to trying to make Christmas special that I completely missed out on what makes the reality of Jesus' arrival so significant. So I'd like to provide a little bit of space for us to reflect and actually hear from God. Let's simply take one moment to quiet our minds, to connect to our hearts, to reflect on one small thing Jesus may be inviting us to repent of in order to make space, to make room for Jesus this Christmas. Let's take a moment to get honest about our own lives and the world around us right now. For you, what are the mountains to be brought down? What are the valleys to be filled in? What are the crooked paths to be made straight? What are the rough roads to be smoothed? In the quietness of this moment, would you ask God to speak to you and then simply listen for Him?
The beautiful thing about our God is that when we come to Him in repentance, He's always willing to meet us right where we are and welcome us into His loving embrace. That is the goodness of our God. That is the wonder of His grace. Every week we celebrate that grace through communion. At His final meal with His friends, Jesus invited them to receive this meal in remembrance of Him. A meal consisting of bread to represent Christ's body broken for us and of juice to represent Christ's blood shed for us. A meal that is intended to represent a new beginning in response to our repentance. Would you receive Christ's invitation to repentance now? And then receive the elements as an act of accepting the new beginning He offers. The bread, His body broken for you. The cup, His blood shed for you. Family, as we wrap up today, let me invite you to consider what if the church were the safest space for people to wrestle with their loyalties and be ruthlessly honest about their steps towards repentance? As we pursue the U plus life and the flourishing of one another, let's be the type of community willing to expose the valleys and level the roads together. The significance of the arrival of Jesus, the arrival of our King, has the potential to change everything. My prayer is that we would not miss the redemptive potential of this news in our lives and for every person we encounter this holiday season. Will you make room and prepare the way? All you need to do is open the door to Him. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Our mission is to help you find your way back to God. And by listening today, you've already taken your first step. And we'd love to help you take your next steps in your relationship with God, the church, and the world. It's how we're all embracing the flourishing life that Jesus talks about, a life we call you plus. Visit communitychristian.org to take a next step, learn more, give generously, and plan your visit. We hope to see you on a Sunday soon.